0: Masters in Business is brought to you by the American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. Learn more at ADR.org. My special guest today is Richard Barton. He has quite the curriculum vitae. He is the founder of numerous and highly regarded startups, including Expedia, Zillow, and Glassdoor. He is on the board of directors at Netflix, and he is a partner at the venture capital firm uh, Benchmark Partners. Richard Barton, welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you very much for having me on, Barry. So I've been looking forward to chatting with you about so many different things uh, I have to start, though, there's such a your, – your background is so startup-oriented, and yet you graduate Stanford in 89 with a degree in engineering. You end up at Microsoft. What was it like working in Microsoft in the midst of the 1990s when everything was on fire? You
1: know, the power we with which we view Facebook and Google – uh, and Apple today, imagine all that power wrapped up into one company. And one that's, company? That's what Microsoft was. With
0: one person at the helm who really was running the show. Who really was running the show,
1: involved deeply. When I showed up, there were about 3,000 employees, so it was relatively relatively small company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, tech wasn't as pervasive as it is today, but... Microsoft was by far the most important company in the technology world and basically building the future. It was quite exciting.
0: That's right. The process as tech became more pervasive, meant that a ton of money was flowing into their coffers. And before the iPhone, there was really nothing ever like Microsoft before.
1: That's right. I mean, IBM, you
0: could argue sure. IBM had a pretty good position prior to Microsoft. Not the on the consumer computer, side, though. But never really on the on consumer the, side. On yeah, the right. business and side. And it wasn't as big a business. Right. It was a much smaller business. Yep. And it was, a, a, whether we're talking typewriters or mainframes, yep. there was still an aspect that wasn't the dominant technology of the day. So, So what did you do at Microsoft?
1: Uh, My first job at Microsoft was product manager of MS-DOS 5. So you're the person I... Should have been sending those nasty letters, do you even do you, do you know what the big feature for MS-DOS 5 was? Are you that much of a
0: geek? Uh, was this pre-shell? Is that what we're talking Pre? about?
1: Well, there was a shell. Did we have this weird shell? There was no Windows. Okay. R- oh, way before okay. Windows. Okay, there was no Windows. But I feel like 3.1 is where really that's Windows... Right, that's right, Windows 3.1, which was a couple years after that's I... That's horrible yeah. that I remember that. that well, it's, it was a big event. Yeah. Those These were consumer branding events. Yeah. And MS-DOS 5 upgrade was the first operating system that Microsoft sold at retail as an upgrade. Mm-hmm. And they did it to break the 640K barrier, mm-hmm. which there are about 5% the, of your listeners right now who are going to know what that The operating RAM
0: means. that the computer was using. You got it. And suddenly... Sis. Yep.
1: And what this enabled was these older PCs that were getting obsolete to load up this... This new upgrade, which was a very hard process to do, Mm -hmm. kind of imagine lifting a house, pouring a new foundation and then dropping the house back down onto. It was hard, but it allowed them to run bigger programs faster and people lined
0: up around the block at midnight outside of Egghead Software to get the upgrade. I remember that. I mean, it was nothing like Windows 95, which, you know, the Rolling Stones' Start Me Up was the theme song and it just went utterly crazy. I was the lonely Mac guy during that era, and actually thrilled when, when the deal was cut in 98. Jobs came back and Gates essentially, I think intelligently, made the bet that, hey, if Apple is around... We're less of a monopoly because, look, there's a credible consumer competitor, and that's why that deal was made. Made that investment. Yeah, a guy named Greg Maffei, Sure. uh, who
1: I'm on the board of Liberty uh, Interactive as well, Mm -hmm. and Greg is on my board at, at Zillow. He was my first chairman at Expedia. He's the guy that led that investment. Uh, uh, for Microsoft and Apple. you know It's too bad Microsoft sold that position. It would be worth um, quite a large I'm, amount of I'm money. Told but they did well. Microsoft did I'm very well. I'm told
0: there were accounting reasons why. Once it just starts becoming an outsized portion of the balance sheet, it's all right, this is problematic. Let's just liquidate it. Not that they needed the money. They've been a cash machine from right. day one. You're right. So so you've been uh, a CEO at uh, a public company. What is that process like? And, and why are so many companies reluctant to go public these days.
1: I'm one of these guys who thinks when you take a company public you're making it to the majors. Sure. It's like going from the minors to the majors and I agree with you you know I grew up in a time when that was the dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plus your backers would like to eventually well, cash out. and I actually feel a responsibility to the people that actually invested in my companies and by the way my employees mm-hmm. who I've paid in stock options in part. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it's my responsibility as an entrepreneur to figure out how to get a company public. Uh, so that to, you know to reward these people, but I also believe it creates optionality. Mm-hmm. And when you have optionality to buy companies with stock, to issue stock, and to ra- to raise cash, it gives it, it creates value. Optionality mm-hmm. creates value. And so I'm a big fan of being public. Uh, I also believe that this quarterly reporting stuff is great discipline, mm-hmm. and having auditors. In your operation, you know, even me as a CEO, I'm happy to have auditors in there just to kind of be digging through and looking for stuff.
0: And, so. and now I understand why you've been the head of three successful companies, yeah. because you understand things that other people seem to just complain about. When, I, when we see companies, startups say, it's too onerous, it's too invasive to go public. What's your response to that? I mean, can you imagine Tom Brady in college, where was he, in Michigan, mm-hmm, uh, I think.
1: saying, I don't want to go pro, you know, like, you know, it's too much pressure, everybody, they're writing about it's me all commercial. the time. There are people on the radio making fun of me and how I played uh, over the week. Can you imagine that? Anyway, that's kind of the pervasive attitude right now.
0: Um, are VCs, it's not Are but, VCs encouraging that attitude, or do they want to go public as much as the next guy. Well, earlier stage VCs
1: absolutely want their companies to be public so that they can get liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on, on to the their next biz- That's yeah. their business, right? The the issue is there's been an inc- the world's a washing capital as as you and your listeners well know. Uh, and there's been a flood of money into late stage private investing. Mm-hmm. Okay? And those people don't want this IPO problem to go away because they're getting to invest they're getting to write hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, checks in companies like Uber to get into the cap table mm-hmm. uh, before the public does, and so that flood of capital into late stage private has made it easy for an entrepreneur to say, uh, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go public. I'm going to stay private." They're letting them cash stock out. They're founders that in these late stage deals they get to sell stock. And so, well, what incentive do I have? You know, if, if the CEO is, is, is getting liquid prior to being public, then what incentive does the CEO have to actually get public? So there's a, there are a myriad of problems. I guess I would also, it could be an interesting conversation, depending on how you feel about it. But I feel, I, I feel that the, the, the regulatory burden is, uh, and the legal burden, is high. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, any one regulation, if you looked at it on its own, um, makes sense. Okay. Any of these regulations. Take but, them all together, though. But in totality, it is quite crushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lawsuits that, that, that ensue because of these regulations as well, that is quite time-consuming. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, I'm not going to be public. Michael Mobison, who I know you've had on, mm-hmm. published Twice. a paper. <laughs> He's terrific. He published a paper six or eight months ago. Uh, basically saying they're, they're less than half of the companies, they're less than half the number of public companies today as there were 15 years ago. I may, I may have that wrong, but some It's some ballpark, reason- yeah. Okay. Um, where have all the public companies where have, gone? Exactly, okay? And so they, they, I, I think that the, the industry, if they're lobbying for more shareholder activism and more ability to put people onto boards, uh, and as 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 this money floods into activist funds, what they're doing actually is kind of killing the golden goose. Mm-hmm. They're
0: they're driving companies out of out of the public markets. So let's talk a little bit about Zillow, which I find to be absolutely fascinating. First, what inspired this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, seg- I mean, it's a segment 2
1: <laughs> You're not the only one that finds it fascinating, uh, Barry. We get. Uh, over 170 million visitors a month to our portfolio of sites. And we, we don't only so own- So that Zillow, Zillow, Trulia. street StreetEasy here in New York City. Which
0: was a really, really great acquisition awesome. that nobody noticed. Awesome. I mean, you don't have multiple listing services that's in right. big cities. That's it's right. a very closely held thing. Yes. And they're one of the few entities that track- Big city. I know they they started in New York. I they believe they did. Then in they Brooklyn? nailed this vertical living yeah, thing. they it's... really did. Uh, but
1: they had trouble expanding beyond New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we met up with them. We got along with them. The founders wanted to get some liquidity, and we and we bought it maybe five years ago. It's yeah, been- no, that it's was been a, great... a really wonderful thing. Yeah, and there's a another idea. brand called Hot Pads and mm-hmm. Naked Apartments that we own. So we have a portfolio of brands. What got it going? However, was my personal frustration with not being able. To, I was shopping for a home. Mm-hmm. My family. I, I just had twins. so I've gone, And you I live where from, now? What part of the country? I live in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Okay. F- lovely I, I part went of the from com- world. One kid to three, and mm-hmm. I was shop. My my co-founder and I were shopping for homes together. We both just left Expedia. Uh, after having a, a, a really successful leadership event there. there as well, yep, and so we're looking for homes, and we can't believe—and this is like two thousand four, two thousand five—the modern we, era. We, it's like the web's been around for at least ten years at this point, right? And so, where's all the information? What? Where is it? It's like it, it's like it was when we started Expedia. It's like. I can't access the the information. I want to see prices. I want to see schedules. I want to do it myself. Right. I want to take control. People want control. I want to control. My partner Lloyd wanted control and we said, "All right, well this is broken." You know, there's something going on here that's broken because this information if you dig hard enough is available. And so we built spreadsheets. We went to the county websites. We started doing dollars per square foot. So we were mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what we should pay for a house. And so Zillow was born of this this frustration and this desire for to, to be empowered with information. And once we got it all together and we figured it out, we were like, well, why should you have to be a spreadsheet geek like us mm-hmm. uh, uh, to be able to get this? And we said, we kind of slapped our heads. We found this estimate. We kind of stumbled into the Zestimate. Uh-huh. Um, and once we stumbled into the Zestimate, the Zestimate is an estimated market value of every home in the country that we update just about every night. Um, we kind of had on the whiteboard, we had a stock a stock chart. So uh-huh. this is this is in this is in a time when the real estate business was going you know the real estate booming. was booming, booming early two thousands and two thousands everybody's most significant asset if they owned a home was mm-hmm. their home, and people were wanted to know what their home was worth so they're watching the market and so we thought well why shouldn't you track the value of a home like you val- like like you track your portfolio
0: but you guys pivoted completely I mean Zestimate is still part of yep. Zillow yeah but I would say it's it's now. Probably the least significant daily usage. Is that a fair way to describe it?
1: I I would say that is a fair way to describe it. It's mostly uh, people who are shopping for rentals and mortgages and homes and people who are selling those those properties. But but we envisioned right from the start that this estimate, which was a missing key piece of marketplace data, mm -hmm. could in fact be at the core of a new real estate marketplace, a digital one.
0: So the question, I have so many questions about this subject. The data that you wanted was clearly ex- in existence, yeah. but it was controlled by the National Association of Realtors. I believe they they own the Multiple Listing Service, or they're affiliated with it. Not really, actually, it's quite separate. In fact, there is not
1: even one MLS; there are nine hundred MLS. So they're all regional, and, all, and then and they're a, owned by bro- regional brokerages, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But the NAR has clearly has influence, and uh, you guys
0: eventually tapped into all of that. Um, that we data. eventually
1: got all that data, but what we did was we we didn't show up to the potluck with just a fork. Mm-hmm. Dave Liniger, the founder of Remax, who's a colorful fellow, uh, 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 upbraided me publicly early on mm-hmm. uh, by telling me I'd shown up to the potluck with just a fork, as if I could come into the, his business and just use his data and then get users and then turn around and charge charge him for advertising. But mm-hmm. that's not the case. We brought pot roast and a marshmallow jello salad we brought the zestimate and we brought this huge database of all homes not just the 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 small number that's for sale right now but a database of all homes and it was a living one so people could add to it and new data kept coming in and finally uh, uh the industry in a very complimentary way realized that this data was really important to buyers and sellers and agents alike and uh eventually everybody ended up participating
0: so the zillow i'm not exaggerating the zillow app is literally on the home page screen 1 is it screen 1 or screen 2 no that is screen 1 there you go it's um you it's Z- it? zillow sonos and uh Sky something. I don't remember what it is. SkyScanner. SkyScanner. That's a good one. Uh, it is. Yeah. Um so let me tell it you three should be Expedia three, but SkyScanner three good. of I don't I, I, Expedia is sort of before my time. I know that sounds ridiculous. We'll talk about Expedia soon. The <laughs> three ways I use Zillow constantly. Yeah. Constantly. First, anytime you're driving in a neighborhood and you see a nice house or something. Right? And and I love to just you know, my mother was a real estate agent. We own a couple of homes. I'm very much your target real estate junkie audience. So out comes the app, and as long as there's some connectivity, um, mobile telecom in the United States is an embarrassment, but we'll save that for another podcast. Hey, there are all the houses that are f- for sale, recently sold, and you could you could see the prices and what have you. It's really fun to do that on a boat out in the harbor because you it. could actually see the houses- that you can't see from the road. like They're down driveways behind edges, they're invisible. That's a ton of fun. How do you find people generally use the app? And what I mean by that, the obvious is, I'm looking for a house. What other ways have come up that might have been somewhat unexpected?
1: Uh, the development people mm. at, at universities and philanthropies use it to target well, the, to target people with that's money. interesting. Divorce attorneys. I'm I'm kind of joking. Uh, there are so many uses for Zillow, both as an entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, as as information, and, and as entertainment, and uh, to inform a shopping process, be it a casual shopping process or a or a serious shopping pro- uh, process. Not to mention. Uh, we're the largest rental site, network of rental uh-huh. sites now. So, you know, most, the, most of the growth in, in households right now is, is going to rentals. And so, rentals has become quite a big business, always has been. Um, and mortgage shopping, people do. But it turns out that our homes are not only where we lay our head. They are our entertainment. Look mm-hmm. no further than HGTV and all these sure. home shows on HGTV. They, they are our entertainment. We love to track the value of it, too, because it's, for many of us, our, our biggest asset. And so this this kind of intertwining of emotion and financial importance, I kind of view it as a yin and a yang. This is really quite a sweet spot in consumer products that I look for. When you have both emotion and financial significance, you have a potential huge idea
0: so we moved a couple of years ago and we when we were selling the previous house we brought in two different real estate agents and we surprisingly received wildly disparate estimates from each of them and again my mom was real estate agent I grew up with dinner table conversation about what terrible people some agents um, what terrible behaviors some agents exhibit I mean that was literally dinner conversation. And so when we got these different estimates, I said, let me play with Zillow a little bit and see what I can do. And the first thing I did was come up with a, I, I searched for our house, number of bedrooms, bathrooms, gourmet kitchen, deck, proximity to the water. I tried to make it as close as humanly possible as I could. And then that generated two lists. It generated the list of homes that were for sale, In my neighborhood and surrounding towns, uh, within my price point, but it also generated a second list of homes that were sold with the same characteristics. And so you get these two data sets, and then you look at the overlap. And lo and behold, if you want to sell your price at the the get the maximum return on the sale in the fastest amount of time, you could wait six months and maybe get another ten or twenty grand. But if you want to be right in the sweet spot. And we literally sold the house within $10,000 of ask in three weeks. And Mm -hmm. I I have to give thanks to you guys because that would not have happened without you guys. Barry, that scenario is
1: exactly why we built Zillow. That's exactly it. You were fully empowered to look at all that data yourself in a way that you could understand it. And didn't exist a few years ago. You weren't able to access that information before. That is power to the people. I love, love, love that. We really have this... You know, this ethic, at, uh, this ethic at Zillow and all my companies where we want to empower regular people with data and tools so that they can make much better decisions about
0: big, important financial stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Expedia because that's a fascinating story. 1994, you're working at Microsoft. They are not exactly a startup culture by that point. They're, they're the 800-pound gorilla how did Expedia come about? I
1: always had the itch to have my own thing. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to start my own company and I was going to do it somewhere. Um, and the internet was just happening. The internet hadn't quite, the the, the, the graphical web hadn't happened this yet. Pre Netscape. So but this is pre Netscape, but post Prodigy right. and AOL. Mm-hmm. Okay. So CompuServe, AOL, Prodigy, these were the big services. And uh, I was fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. I really thought, wow, these, these are empowering. This is some, something interesting is going to happen here. And, and this tool here could lead to some new industrial revolution. I was thinking pretty grandly, like what could happen to the travel industry uh, uh, if people had access to all this data? What could happen to real estate? I was even thinking about real estate back then. I, I, I wrote a plan to, to have an electronic stockbroker. 'Cause I, I like to trade trade and invest stocks. E trade and this E-trade. is this I, is pre e trade. This is pre e trade. But but e trade didn't even exist. But I was a Schwab customer and I was one of those Schwab guys that used telebroker. I would trade right. with my finger, you know, on the on the because I didn't right. really want to talk to somebody. I knew how to do it myself. I wanted control. Anyway, so I envisioned that this online thing might turn into something pretty interesting. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was especially frustrated as a traveling young business person with the interactions I was having with my, my Microsoft corporate travel agent. Right. I could. That was
0: someone in house who would book travel for you.
1: In house or working for American Express, but basically assigned to the Microsoft account. Uh-huh. And I'd call her up. Usually it was, it was a woman, but there were you know many different people. And I'd hear the the keyboard clicking. You know, as I was asking questions. <laughs> I went to Seattle, then to Denver, and then I got to go up to Chicago, back to Seattle, and I'd hear these keyboard clicking. I'm like. You know, she answered me with one choice, and I'd be like, well, that can't be the only choice. Right. You've got a screen full of stuff in front of you. So I wanted to jump through the phone line, turn the screen towards me, and take control myself. Right. Okay, so that was the inception of me being, going to uh, to Bill Gates, who I view as my first venture capitalist, and Steve Ballmer was in the room too, uh,
0: and pitching the idea for, for what became Expedia. So tell us about that meeting. That has to be a seminal moment in your career. I c- it was. It was not. It, you know. I did saw you those... realize it at the time, or was it like oh, I just got to get these guys to sign off on? No, this. no, no. It felt special to me. Yeah. I,
1: I knew I had a. I knew I had a potential tiger by the tail. Mm-hmm. I did, and and I actually wanted to convince them to that it wasn't going to really be a software business. It was going to be a travel business, and I wanted Bill to build a fund me on the outside to do my own thing. Because at this point, Microsoft was getting bigger, and the stuff I was working on. I was paid in stock options but the stuff i was working on you know wasn't windows at the time and so really it would only matter how windows and office did you know versus you know relative to my compensation Mm -hmm. so i was thinking well if i can do this on the outside if i if if i can build a team and do really well with this then i can do well too Uh, anyway i pitched them on that idea um, right from the start but bill laughed and he said who are you going to hire we don't do that but look grow it internally and if it, you know, if it needs to be independent from Microsoft, we'll take a look.
0: Did he give you a budget to build this out or he any did. staffing? Yeah, it's a budget and
1: some headcount. And I, I was able to hire the most entrepreneurial people at Microsoft, which was the place to be if you were in tech, mm-hmm. like the only place to be. So I got really great people. I established a network of incredible people who were entrepreneurially minded because I said, come to Expedia. We're going to build this thing. We're going to be the largest seller of travel in the world. We're building a new travel marketplace and we're going to spin out if it's good. Okay, we're gonna spin out of Microsoft. And so I got really incredible people to Bill and Steve's credit. I was working for Balmer when we when we spun out, to their credit. I went to Steve and I asked him for one hundred million dollars to spend on marketing on Expedia. <laughs> and he laughed like he <laughs> have you met Steve? He's a I haven't than, met him, but I've heard him laugh. He's like he, he's he's aggressive and he's big and he makes noise and he he did he, he laughed and got kind of red in the face and said, <laughs> We're not gonna do that. And I said, Well, Steve but you anchored him at a hundred million. I, I wanted a hundred million, and I said, "But I need a hundred million. I, I need TV ads. This thing could be huge. We're we're half the size of the number one guy right now, but we need we need this jet fuel. We got a better product. We got to do it." He said, "No," and I said, "The public markets will do it. It's nineteen ninety nine, pets petfood.com, food Pets, food Everything got funded, right?" And I said, "Look, let's spin it out. Let's take the public. We don't have to sell much of the company. We can get a hundred million dollars, and we'll give it a shot." And to Steve's credit and Bill's credit, they said, "All right, let's do an HR experiment. Let's wow. let's try to do this thing." And so That's great. I took 150 people out of the hottest company in the world to work at,
0: where they already had stock options. Already had stock right? options, and gave the, them a new set. At of the stock hottest,
1: hottest company in the world at the highest point of the stock that ever achieved and would ever achieve, even for the next 17 years. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, and. These adventurous people, these courageous people, they came out of uh, Microsoft with me, and we took Expedia public, and within a year, we were twice the size of the the number two guy.
0: Wow, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And Expedia
0: still is a freestanding company, still publicly- Publicly huh, traded, right?
1: $20, $20 25000000000 billion market cap, doing extremely well. One of the two kind of globally dominant players in the
0: online travel. So process. how do you look at this as your baby- which is now off on its own, and what's your involvement? with pride?
1: Right. It's like a, the, the, the kid that went to college and right. now he's married and he's got a happy family and the, the family's growing up. I really you know it makes me really proud to 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 see what Barry Diller and Dara Kazushahi, the current CEO, uh, have done since I left.'m I'm, I'm really impressed Was it
0: difficult to to turn over the keys to the kingdom that easily? like some there are some entrepreneurs who have a hard time, yeah. Passing the reins did Did you have any issues with that?
1: I mean, of course, there were some. I had some issues, but I, my personality is a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't need to own and control and do everything. And I like to think and do about. I, I like to think about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I have a, a, a diverse set of interests. And uh, when Barry Diller bought it. From We were public for three or four years, mm-hmm. and Barry Diller bought us out at a really nice price. This is IAC Interactive? I, this is this was IAC. Uh, IAC, it was known as USA Interactive at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they bought Expedia at a nice price. Um, that seemed like a good time for me to uh, to go think about doing other things.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Glassdoor. All right. Uh, in 2007, you founded the company, which helps people find jobs understand the salary and compensation they're getting and gives folks a better sense of what what they should be getting for their role in the marketplace is that a that's right a fair assessment that's
1: right i uh, i actually co-founded it with uh a guy named bob homan Mm -hmm. who worked for me at expedia he was a development manager mm almost all all of my companies that i'm involved with i've co-founded with people who worked For me at Expedia and Zillow too. Zillow as well. So you're co-founder of. I founded Expedia, um, you know, inside of Microsoft, Mm -hmm. and I co-founded Zillow with uh, an Expedia guy Mm -hmm. and a Microsoft guy, a guy I went to college with, and then I did the same with Glassdoor, and I've done it with a few others as well. Anyway, but to Glassdoor. Uh, So yes, the idea with Glassdoor is not too dissimilar from Expedia and Zillow, and that Mm -hmm. is to turn on the lights in the room. To give people information they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And specifically, what is it really like to work there? Do people who work there approve of the CEO and leadership? What do people make? What do they really make? What are their their real salaries and and
0: job titles and tenures? Um, How do you ensure the integrity of that information? How do you make sure? So there's a a site, Rate My Professor. There are other educator related. And, you know, it's really easy for one irate student to skew everything. Right. How do you avoid that happening when people are rating either a CEO or a business or or what have you?
1: So this information has turned out to be really intriguing to people. We get... 20 or 30 million people a month now uh, that come to Glassdoor and it's become one of the largest job sites in the world. It's, re- it's really good. And it's gotten there because the information is good. The information is good because we work really hard to ensure that the people who are leaving reviews actually work or worked at the company.
0: And you can validate that we can, electronically. We,
1: we can do that with email addresses and mm-hmm. we can do that by, with right. back and forth communication. So we work really hard to make sure they're legit. Secondly, Anything that's too strident or uses profanity or people's names or is personal, we just don't, we just don't post.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, you should we, have we, a chat we'll with Jack Dorsey at Twitter, and maybe you could get them. Uh Straightened you know, out,
1: you know, would be interesting. <laughs> we might, you know, we might have a different president if that were. The- anyway, uh, uh, so we we clip the tails basically. We, anything that 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 is too gotcha. strident, one way or another, we clip. We the clip fat tails. part of the curve is we, what we you do want. We do the fat part of the curve, and I would also contend Tripadvisor was something we owned at Expedia. We learned mm-hmm. a lot from Tripadvisor with people leaving anonymous reviews about right. hotels, right? Uh, and I would say over time that TripAdvisor, Yelp, Glassdoor reviews on Amazon have actually taught consumers to uh, to kind of, Tune out the noise anyway. When something looks promotional, they think, uh-huh. "Oh, that's promotional." That person, or when something looks like they have an axe to grind, you know, people intuitively say, "All right, well, that person is a disgruntled ex-employee," uh, and and that's going on. And so we as humans are tuning up to kind of clip to kind of clip the tails too. So what's turned out is that the the information is really accurate. We have information on over 700,000 companies around the world. We have tens of millions of pieces of, of data and reviews. When when you work at a place, uh, I don't know, Bloomberg, uh, go on to Glassdoor, read the reviews, look at the salaries, see what people think of the CEO, uh, and you're going to read that and you're going to say, yeah, that's that sounds right. That's the, about what it's like. The
0: fascinating thing is if you're a Obviously, someone who's just starting or someone who's very senior, those are really specific salary pricing. Yes. But in the middle of it, a lot of people have no idea what is the standard salary, at least in their part of the country. I know they vary from city to city. And it's kind of fascinating clicking around and looking at stuff. You know, and I, and I how about and how about
1: gender splits? I mean, we, we have all this data. We know the we know the gender of the people with salaries, and we've been able to uncover gender pay, pay disparities. Really? Yes, that's it's really it's really interesting. The What's data the takeaway from that, Ben? Uh, the takeaway it's it's difficult really to get a handle on the gender stuff because. Uh, Even if stuff looks equal, you don't really know how quickly a promotional path has happened or what promotional opportunities. There's a lot of nuance there. there, There is a lot of nuance, but generally speaking... Uh, uh, women have been paid less than men mm-hmm. for the same role. That is a, that is a, a conclusion that we come to. Um, interestingly, investment managers use Glassdoor quite a bit. Oh, really? Yeah, hedge. I, I have I know several hedge fund guys and investment managers that use Glassdoor to figure out uh, what's going on at the companies How they're fast investing. How growing? Yeah. Are
0: they spreading the wealth around? They must be re- doing really well. And that may not have shown up yet yeah. in, in the official documents. Uh, what do
1: people think of the CEO?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, That's quite fascinating. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Netflix. So you joined the board when? When it was private. Come so, on. I've been on that board for... Really? I can't remember the
1: year, 15 years at least. I yeah.
0: remember when they first launched, and the kids listening aren't going to remember, that they used to mail DVDs through it. the U.S. Postal. Yeah. And the first time I heard about it, it's like, why do I want to wait for... DVDs to show up in the mail. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, wait, I don't have to go to Blockbuster. And yeah. there's always two or three in transit. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And once they moved to all digital, and it was clear that was the goal eventually to go all digital. There was no looking back. What was that process like?
1: Okay, well, I had the same reaction you did. So I, there, there weren't many web guys back when I went to, to when I joined the board of Netflix, and I was one of them. I was running Expedia.
0: And, and by the way, how did you get the invite? To okay, the so board? there were many of us, and
1: mm-hmm. and we uh, Reed Hastings, who is sure. the incredible CEO of Netflix, uh, you know, running an incredible leadership team over there. He and I had a mutual friend and investor, a guy named Jay Hogue, who is the founding partner of TCV, Technology Crossover Ventures.
0: He's a really well-regarded historical figure in in technology, isn't he?
1: He is not well known publicly. Low-key yes. legend. Mm-hmm.
0: Low-key legend. I sit on a few boards
1: with him and uh-huh. I learn I learn every time I'm in a room with him. Really? I really think he's outstanding. He knew both of us, both Reed and me, and Reed was looking to build out his board, getting ready to go public. And so Reed and I had dinner. And I said, I gotta admit, like this this seems like there's an end of the road here. Like the DVD thing, the form factor, it's gonna go the, the service is cool. I grant you that. Right. But the form factor is gonna go away, Reed. You're gonna hit the wall, and then what's the future? How are we ever gonna get any value out of this thing? It's gonna die. And he's like, no, no,
0: you misunderstand. He
1: said, "Did you see the name of the? We didn't name it DVD by MailFlix, Rich. (laughs) We named it Netflix." I'm like, okay, well, that's okay, good point, Uh, good point. But how are you gonna? How are you gonna cross the chasm? How are you gonna get over the wall? You know that you know that chasm is there. And he said, "I don't know." He said, "I don't know. We we we. it, It could be downloads. It could be streaming." Who knows? We really don't know. But here's what I do know. That if we can build up a big enough subscriber base Mm -hmm. before the chasm is upon us, then we'll be in an incredibly good position to cross the chasm with our subscriber base into the new world, whatever that new world is. That's some
0: serious long ball. Yep. Right? Before he even launches the IPO for mailing DVDs, He's thinking, eventually, we have to be digital.
1: He is truly a long long ball player. He is a visionary, long-term guy. Um, there are very few people that can do this. You've had a lot on your show. These Jeff, people, Jeff
0: Bezos is another one who, uh, uh, 25 years ago, he's thinking, yeah, yeah, eventually. Granted, we talked about Amazon Cloud Service. That probably wasn't in his original plan of, hey, we have all these servers. Let's use them for something. Right. But it was clear that he had an idea about just uh, not competing with retailers, just completely bypassing them. Being the economy. whole new right, <laughs> yeah, right. entire. <laughs> by the way, I just got Alexa, the Echo, delivered yesterday from from Amazon Prime Day. Yeah. Um. You know, I didn't want to experiment with it at two hundred bucks, but at seventy nine dollars, yeah, okay, let me try it. And you what could you see I. I just oh, opened the box. Yeah. Yeah. You could, I already can see how, if this thing continues to develop the way it it does, um, this is uh, another monster. It's a big deal. Another, mon- yeah. and you have to stop and worry, wa- wonder, how did Apple blow this with Siri? I mean, they were really way ahead of. It's not over yet. It's not
1: over yet. But but but. Well, Siri has to get a lot better. But Amazon right, Siri has to get a lot better and. What's subtle and interesting is just how important response time is mm-hmm. in using in using these things and in, in using these voice intelligent agents. Uh, Siri was was okay, but not many people used it when it first came out because it just you know it just didn't respond very quickly. And, and you had well. to
0: be you had to be near a network that actually worked. And in the United States, that's an iffy proposition on in mobile. But if you're at home and you're at home
1: and there's a dedicated device that all it does is listen for you to say its name so that it can respond really, really quickly, all of a sudden people started using it. And, you know, when you're busy with your hands in the kitchen and you want to set a timer, are you going to reach for your iPhone to set the timer with four or five clicks? Or are you going to say, Alexa, set timer for 13 minutes? And it, it and it just works. I'm, you know, I know Jeff a little bit. We're both in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, he is really the most impressive business guy of the kind of of the new millennium.
0: Talk, talk about Long Ball. Oh I mean, God. just so yeah. so so. We've mentioned a couple of CEOs. We've mentioned yeah. Reed Hastings. We've yeah. mentioned Jeff Bezos. What other CEOs impress you? And what characteristics do you think define? an outstanding ceo in the modern era
1: well in, because i'm a, a startup oriented person i tend to be uh, focused on the founder ceos mm-hmm. i believe that the found, the great the greatest ceos tend to be the founder ceos i interesting. think interesting um, there are terrific professional management CEOs that come in later, there's no question, but a professional CEO never quite has the credibility uh, of the founder, isn't usually, isn't able to, to think really long term and, and, and carry the employee base and the investor base along for a, the, the long ride and say, hey, we're gonna invest billions of dollars in producing our own streaming content, even though we've never done that before. Come along, I'm gonna hold your hand and you're gonna hold my hand and we're gonna get through this because on the other side, it's glorious. But in the in- intervening six or seven years, the p and the cash flow is going to be ugly, okay? Really, founders have license to do that. Uh, and uh, afterwards, it's it's a little bit harder. Uh, there are lots of bad founder CEOs, too. Okay? For sure. But I think the, 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 the true greats in my mind, like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, and Jeff Bezos and Reed Hastings. Um, what do you think of Zuckerberg at Facebook? And Zuckerberg, he's he's amazing. Yeah, uh, um, He's really an incredible guy. Andreessen yeah. said
0: he is just a human learning machine. Yeah. And just is constantly absorbed. Yeah. If there's something to be learned in any environment, he's just he's a sucking sponge. that knowledge in. Yeah, he's yeah. a
1: sponge. you know what? Young Bill, Bill Gates is still that way. Really? But young Bill Gates was exa- was exactly the same.
0: No kidding. Yeah. That's Just
1: constantly learning. Two Harvard dropouts. Learning about everything. Not mm-hmm. just the stuff you think that they ought to be learning about based on their businesses, but wanting to know everything. We
0: have been speaking with Rich Barton. He is the co-founder of... Of Zillow and Glassdoor and the founder of Expedia and numerous other entities. Be sure and check out my daily column. It's at BloombergView.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Write to us at MIBpodcast at Bloomberg.net. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You're listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. If you're having a business dispute, the process can be slow and drawn out, especially if you rely on litigation in the courts. You can wait for years before your case is resolved,
1: and the longer your case proceeds, the more your case can cost. Not with the American Arbitration Association. Arbitration or mediation with the American Arbitration Association is faster. In fact, nearly 50% of our cases settle prior to hearings. ADR.org. Resolve faster.
0: Welcome to the podcast. Rich, thank you so much for doing this. I am, I've I've said, I'm a giant fan of Zillow. And as I started researching who you were and and what you've done, I'm like, oh, I know that company. Oh, wait, I know that company. Oh, wait, I know who those guys, like, oh, I, I, how did I not know who this person was many, many years ago? all the things that you're involved in are some of my favorite and most regularly used technologies. So that that's pretty interesting. You've had quite a fascinating career in Seattle. Can we say Seattle is rapidly gaining on Silicon Valley? Is that a fair statement? By the way, you're the second person I've had from Silicon Valley, From I'm sorry, from Seattle, the first being Nick Hanauer. Oh, right, Nick, my friend. Yeah. Seattle is a
1: boomtown. Boomtown. 62 cranes. Amazing. The leading... Uh, city in the U.S. On, I the crane, just, on the crane index. I just had that graphic put Did up you, on the blog. It's three it looks days like ago. Shanghai. It right. really does. The cranes everywhere. This is because the flywheel, the tech flywheel, is spinning, mm-hmm. and it's just get it, the snowball is rolling. Boeing and left and nobody cared. No, well, no. I mean, there's a lot of Boeing still there. Yeah. Okay. But the headquarters left, and right. nobody cared. I mean, it started with you know Microsoft. Clearly. Probably Microsoft was this incredible gravitational force for tech talent from around the world, sucking it in. And as micro, as, as as that talent kind of scattered, uh, it started all kinds of Expedia, new things. Expedia, Amazon. Expedia, going Amazon. The list. So Amazon, especially, I think, is driving. The 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 new is the new magnet for talent Mm -hmm. coming into town. That
0: new HQ downtown is supposed to be spectacular.
1: Well, it's multiple buildings. I mean, I would say five or six of those cranes are Amazon, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they've they've revived a whole part of town. Um, It's it's truly it's truly phenomenal. I guess I would add that the University of Washington Mm -hmm. is an incredible university, and uh, most especially the computer science department where I actually gave the commencement this year, which was oh, really? quite, quite good fun. We get a lot of computer scientists sure. engineers out of out of UW. It is a top five program in the country. And so this this mix of edu- you know, education and talent and money and and it being a terrific place to live means that Seattle is really rising rapidly. Now is it gaining on Silicon Valley? No, that snowball is probably, you know, it's even <laughs> bigger and that thing is still rolling too. Sure. I spend I spent about half my business time down in Silicon Valley as well and it's just it's, a f- on it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's Absolutely. phenomenal.
0: So yeah. we were just in in Silicon Valley earlier this year. My last trip to Seattle I spoke at u in the finance department, which was really kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I was re- uh, spoke at the Treasury Department of Microsoft, oh, wow. who showed me the most amazing thing on the wall behind them. They flip a panel, and it spins around, and there's a white phone on a shelf. It all it is, is a white phone. Fo- what's the white phone? Oh, that's the bad phone that Bill used to call. And they, they literally showed me a guy who's got a keyboard, <laughs> Who's the guy who handles the Microsoft stock repurchase program for new option issuance to new employees? And they also, long before Apple, they had a massive stock repurchase program. Yeah. And I jokingly said, "What? He has a keyboard with like one key, just a buy thing on it." It was a joke, and they someone pulled out a keyboard that they had given him one with key one key. With <laughs> just to buy it. it was it was pretty hilarious. The Microsoft that was another campus. that was
1: another Greg Maffei. Oh, really? Uh, program that building the in. Treasury Department yeah. there. Yeah.
0: It's 30 people and they're running 100 billion dollars. Yeah. It's yeah. an incredible amount of. I yeah. think at the time it was 89 billion. It's close to 100 now, yeah. uh, or if it's not past it, that campus was astonishing. Yeah. For people who have never been there, it it's like the size of any four colleges combined, yeah. and none of the buildings are in. Numerical order. It's not like one, right. two, three. So you even have this, it's even bigger than you imagine, because you, you can't just extrapolate one, two, three, four, five. Right. Wait, what is building 147? We right. were just in building eight. <laughs> right. The the highlight of that trip was visiting the Microsoft Office office, Okay. where you walk into the room, and it's into the building, and it's Microsoft, the logo, yeah. Microsoft Office on the wall behind you. Yeah. And it's like, so what's in this building? <laughs> She points to the logo. This is the office office, which was hilarious to me. But they were dead serious. So, what was it like watching that get built out? Because in the early '90s, it was small. We were small. I yeah. mean, small, relatively speaking. <laughs> right, but as opposed to what is it? 40, like, I knew 000? all the buildings, right, you know,
1: and I knew a lot of like, not everybody, but most of the people in Seattle. By the time I you knew. left, by the time I left, I left in '99. I couldn't possibly know. Uh, Everyone. Watching it get built was, um, you know, it was miraculous. It really was. And it's a testament to Bill Gates. I'm a big believer in the Jim Collins BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) Uh, And Bill Gates put forth one of the great BHAGs of all time. time. Sure. You know, a computer on every desk and in every home running Microsoft software.
0: So the knock on Balmer, and I want to ask you if this is fair, is that he wasn't a BHAG guy. He didn't have these audacious goals. They were really a series of small goals as opposed to throwing the Hail Mary. Well,
1: you know, a great BHAG needs a great field general and Mm -hmm. a great operator, too. You can't... You can't. You don't just magically get to your BHAG because you have it. Even though I believe to a certain extent they are self fulfilling, mm-hmm. but you need operationally to get there. And I don't know that I've encountered anyone better than Balmer from an operational perspective. As, as a field there. general, but what yeah.
0: about as a
1: CEO? As a CEO, uh, you know, as that's a, what I mean by as the as a criticism. CEO. He grew. I mean, he grew. He grew the company. The company grew quite nicely mm-hmm. uh, 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 under his uh, you know, under his leadership. Um, my guess is that that Bill probably stepped back a little too much, right? Uh, in providing that visionary uh, overlay uh-huh. and kind of pointing to the mountain in the distance, uh, when Steve took over, and um, tough act to know, follow, and that's it, sure. it is, and and so it's hard to know how to step back, right? Okay, sure, and so. You know there were there were some issues, but overall, I mean, Microsoft's a company in
0: very good shape. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. There there are no courses at Harvard Business School that say. By the way, when you build what was then the biggest company in the world, here's how to ease back a little bit. I don't think that's a uh, that's in the manual. No. no. So, so even so, though it should be. So you 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 referenced um, what it was like, meaning Reed Hastings and and working with um, Netflix. Amazon, theoretically, is the big competitor to Netflix. Is Are they perceived that way? Or are they, yeah, they're really a real retailer and, and video isn't what they do? No, they, Amazon's doing
1: quite well uh, with their Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they appear to be really serious about it. They're getting good content. They're getting good viewers. Uh,
0: my personal opinion... Uh, There's room for lots of players in this space. Well
1: it's It's even better than that from my perspective, and I would say this is probably Reed's perspective as well, and that is ott over the top, so internet TV. the more internet TV there is, mm-hmm. the more internet TV there is. Mm-hmm. okay, So this is a pie that just keeps getting bigger as more and better content is available on the internet and on your on your uh, smartphone. Mm-hmm. And what's really happening is that... Time is being taken from other things you were doing, whether whether you were watching traditional linear TV or whether you were doing something else, uh-huh. uh, and that time is moving at a really rapid pace to internet television viewing. Um, Netflix is great. You know, one of Reed's great geniuses is focus and clarity and long term and mm-hmm. not getting distracted. The company's never done an acquisition. Is that true? Never done an acquisition.
0: That's amazing. I
1: had no idea. Yep. And, and I'm the kind of guy that always has new ideas. I'm like, well, what about sports? What about music? What about video games? And reads like, nope. yeah, well, we're going to keep our eye on the
0: ball, Rich. Thank you. Yeah, we've thought about that. And their we're going to keep our, our eye on the ball. Their original content is great. <laughs> yeah. Master of None is fabulous. Yes. This run of stand-up specials that they've been paying people boatloads of money to do. Chappelle. The Chappelle sure. one is just- It's, oh, it's genius. It's, geni- it's genius. laughing from that. It's genius. That was just yeah. unbelievable. Um, stranger if have, Things? you see Stranger
1: Things? No. Yeah, That's a good one. Yeah. You should see it. The,
0: yeah. If I have any complaint about Netflix, and I really don't have a lot- they, they fixed their connectivity issues. They fixed their bandwidth problems. They've, there's a ton of stuff that they worked out. The original content is great. I find the old organization on the website so much better than the current organization on the as, an app as an app on a TV. Oh, really? It's not easy to find something when you're looking for it, or God forbid... You say I don't know what I want to watch tonight, but let's chill with let's Netflix and chill. But really, watch Netflix, (laughs) not Netflix and chill. By the way, tell him who whatever genius in the PR department came up with that phrase. Spectacular.
1: I think it was an emergent.
0: I uh, I that's the story, but
1: I do think it was emergent. I now the the company grabbed onto it.
0: I would love to find out that that was some evil marketing genius sort of fed that out. That would we'll just ask, be we'll mind-blowing. We'll ask
1: the CMO, Kelly Bennett. Hey, Kelly, where did that really come from?
0: If they're smart, yeah. they'll never admit yeah. it. Oh, no, that was purely organic. Yeah. But, but if you just say, let's yeah. look for something.
1: It's, it's, it's a, a different a, form factor. You're, totally. You're, you're a different distance from the screen when you're right. on your couch. You have a different control mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so tons and tons of IQ and sweat has gone into trying to anticipate what you might like to watch next and putting that in front of you rather than being a hunt for mm-hmm. you know a search and find paradigm on a big screen at 12 feet does not work very well right and so what what the the designers are trying to and the, and the coders are trying to do is use really really smart software to anticipate what you might want and mm-hmm. put it there and uh, you know it's 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 actually quite we do quite well. It may not feel it to an old, uh, you know, search and find type paradigm person right. who's used to it on their laptop. Uh, it's, it's different. When you have a keyboard, you find stuff more easily. <laughs> right.
0: No, for sure. Yeah. And I, I would make the same complaint about Amazon's interface for it. And by the way, it's not just me as a 55-year-old. I've heard similar discussions amongst um, younger nieces, yeah. nephews, yeah. millennial coworkers. There is a holy grail of how can you combine both so that we're making suggestions of things that, based on your your previous viewing history, yeah. we can figure out you want, but also make it easy for, what are you in the mood for? Let's find a way to do that. And
1: that should be a voice-based, intelligent interaction in the future. And, and it It, will be. it eventually and it will. will. Be. Absolutely.
0: You know, the yeah. advantage you mentioned, um, how Echo is an emergent technology, the advantage with Alexa hey, find me something good to watch on on Amazon Prime, that's a monstrous uh, thing. It's not there yet. No. But at one day in the future, um, somebody just said, if you extrapolate what Amazon is doing 20 years into the future, they're a monopoly at that point, and someone's going to have to break them up, which, coming from Microsoft, that has to be an interesting Yeah, I lived through that DOJ thing. It
1: was really rough. It's not, you know. No fun. It's no fun, Um, you know, and I think it is inevitable as companies get really, really huge. And I think Jeff is probably well aware of that Mm -hmm. and is trying to do everything he can to, um, you know, to delay that as long as possible and to play within the rules. But eventually the tall poppy gets chopped down.
0: Yeah, to say to say the least. Yeah. You know, my fantasy uh, or my imagination, I should say, in the 1990s, when uh, there were a number of small tech companies that I was kicking the tires on, and a number of new ideas going around, I pictured every venture meeting having the founders come in, giving their pitch, explaining the technology, explaining the market, explaining they have to what they need to do to capture critical mass, and then someone saying what prevents Microsoft from building this into Windows? And if you didn't have the right answer to that, thanks for coming by. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much that until really a combination of DOJ slowed Microsoft down a few years, and then the web exploded, yeah. and that question went away. It's like, yeah. well, no, they could build it into Windows, but we're gonna be on the web, we're gonna be on any platform. There's a new question now, though. Let's hear it. Amazon. Right. What's going to prevent Amazon from? Amazon doing this? casts a shadow in Everywhere. all directions now,
1: yeah, and a long one in all directions, which doesn't seem physically possible. But uh, so the metaphor breaks down. But that is the question being asked by venture capitalists. They're
0: doing devices. Yep. They're they're obviously dominating retail. And I read recently that something like twenty five percent of all searches take place within Amazon. Maybe twenty five percent overall, but even even higher
1: percentage of uh, commercial searches, which are the valuable ones, mm-hmm. and like search your, your results 50% on Google. fifty percent or more of of commercial searches happen uh, happen shocking. on Amazon. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Amazon is uh, yeah they're 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 everywhere.
0: Who else is in Seattle that that's of note? Who else uh, should we be aware of as a up-and-coming company, because I know there are a few companies out there. Concur is
1: there. Um, I don't know if that's up-and-coming, but that's a— that's They've a, been around a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, back, back to the Amazon thing for a second. It, sure. It, it may not be obvious, but they're they're really uh, the major force in enterprise software as well now. Because of AWS mm-hmm. and because pretty much most computing is moving into the cloud, into a, a remote cloud— Right. Um, the whole software enterprise software stack, which is not my forte, I, I do consumer internet marketplaces, um, but the whole enterprise software stack is moving out of these premise-based systems, right? As sold by Oracle and other, you know, more legacy Microsoft, vendors, Microsoft Oracle, IBM, mm-hmm. what have you. But they're also
0: moving to the cloud as well.
1: Okay. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Amazon is the cloud and Amazon keeps adding more and more functionality embedded as a service within the cloud. Right. And is taking over chunk by chunk is taking over these enterprise software categories. You know, Oracle has a pretty big database business. Sure. Amazon has a really big database business that's a little bit lower end but is eating Eating the big database. Oh, business really? I have no idea. And it can. It's going to be the same for you know HR software, for sales software. I mean, it's. Are like, they a legitimate competitor to absolutely. a Salesforce type? I, of I think company? I. You know, I don't know that one specifically. I haven't sat in on a pitch on that, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. And and I, I bring it up because that's part of the shadow that overhangs any kind of venture pitch. Right. See,
0: now. I see it from the other end of of the market spectrum, which is. It used to be if you wanted to set up a company, well, you had to hire a CTO and you had to get a bunch of servers and you had to get a bunch of web designers. You had to do all this startup stuff which 20 years ago cost 15-20 million dollars. And today, again to quote Andreessen, it's, you know, the total cost is the founders laptops and their access to Amazon cloud You're absolutely services. right.
1: And it's pretty similar to what we were talking about with your with Ritholtz. Wealth Management, right, where Schwab or or Fidelity uh, is AWS for you. Right. You can have a turnkey. The Times article. Turn, exactly. Yeah. The Times article was great. It is – it really – that is what AWS is, and that mm-hmm. is what AWS is going to grow into, stuff like that. Um, it, it's it's pretty, fascinating. it's pretty interesting. So other companies in Seattle, uh, there's a really hot data one called Tableau. Oh, that's sure. That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a history. The F5 was there. There's a, hist- a long history of, um, you know, biomedical stuff coming mm-hmm. out of Seattle Amgen. Lee Hood is there, mm-hmm. so it's a really rich kind of biotech and medical uh, community, and that is a going to be a big growth area. Um, it's becoming known as Cloud City, though. You know, Cloud over, City, Cloud City, because of AWS and because uh-huh. of the Microsoft Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud. Is also there? Is also there? Uh, There are all of these new cloud-based enterprise software companies and cloud-based tech companies that are growing up in Seattle. I would say that's probably the most exciting area of tech growth in Seattle. Not an area that I personally participate in. I like to build
0: brands, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's interesting. So you have people who are working at Amazon. You have people working at Microsoft. They get the startup itch, sometimes with the blessing of the company, sometimes without. They go out and do... What they want to do. Yeah, there's plenty and, of capital. And that was the other question: is what VCs are up there, or do all the big VCs have a branch up there now?
1: Both, basically. We have some. We have some native Seattle venture capitalists that are that are that are good. It's not as broad or as deep or as experienced a, a venture community, uh, but companies like uh, Madrona and Ignition. And Maveron, these are in Seattle. Um, is
0: ignition
1: ignition a combinator, or is that a straight up VC? Straight up VC. A lot of cloud stuff mm-hmm. they do. X X ex, largely X Microsoft guys, um, and they've they've done pretty well. Uh, I would say when I raise money for my startups, when I have done that, I generally I look to Seattle VCs, but because of my connections in Silicon Valley, I tend to take my A-Rounds from Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that especially in consumer internet software space and media, the Valley is a much deeper, richer, more experienced ecosystem. Uh, so I can learn a lot more uh, from 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 the Valley. So, so
0: what are the next startups we're gonna see coming out of Rich Barton?
1: <laughs> you know, I'm not actively looking for them. I'm pretty busy. I have eight or nine boards. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I really enjoy being a coach and uh, I have some terrific players that I'm coaching, and I really take pride in in, in watching them succeed and hit hit singles,
0: doubles, and an occasional home run. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that. Have you, you know, scratched that itch, or does it if you if you ignore it long enough, does it does it start up again? <sighs>
1: Um, it's there. It's certainly there, but, uh, I'm moving into a phase of my life where there are a lot of other things I like to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not actively looking for new startups. That said, they come along. Um, you know, I, I recently joined the board of Artsy here in New York city, which is why I'm, why Mm -hmm. I'm here. Artsy. Artsy. Yeah. It's going to be the, the digital marketplace for fine art. Secondary market for fine art. I just read a column somewhere. Was it Bloomberg or somewhere else?
0: Probably. There was just
1: a column the other day. We just raised a fifty million dollar D round. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I invested as an angel investor years ago. It's a marketplace build. I love marketplace builds. It's a power to the people play. You know, the art market worldwide is we estimate three trillion. There's three trillion of art stock, fine art stock. On walls and in
0: warehouses and in museums all over the world. Okay? But that's a really fat head, long tail distribution. You have a thousand. Grandmaster's painting, and that's a trillion or a couple of trillion. Dollars. Probably not
1: quite a trillion. There aren't as many. It doesn't go quite as deep as you think it does. There mm-hmm. aren't. There
0: aren't as many. There aren't that many
1: hundred million dollar plus value, uh, value works out there. But but your but point, lots of fifties and twenty five. Your point is taken. Yes, but the bulk of the transactions in the art market in the fine art market Much happened smaller. between five thousand and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Of the three trillion, just grant that to me for a second. Sure. billion of art trades a year. Really? That's a decent chunk of money. Okay, it's a big chunk of money, but it's a percent, a percent and a half of the art stock. I know of no other business where that, uh, 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 asset-based business, where that lower percentage of the the stock trades value changes hands every year. Housing, for instance, about Mm -hmm. 15, 16% of the housing stock turns over every year. Is that global or just in the U.S.? In the U.S., but I and, mean,
0: and let's call that two hundred trillion in total assets, something probably, like that. Probably, yeah, that's right. I yeah. think it's a hundred in land and a hundred in in improvements, okay. something along those lines. Yep. Uh
1: Automobiles, I don't know the exact numbers, but my guess is twenty percent of the automobile stock trades every year or is purchased in in the primary market.
0: Leasing is so big. Every so three it's, years, those cars. Okay, so out. if
1: it's three years, it's even more. It's thirty-three mm-hmm. percent. Okay, uh, uh, so uh, at one percent. I see real opportunity to create a marketplace where that 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 stagnant pool can go, start moving. We can bring we can bring some motion to the water. And there's been no real marketplace for these things to to trade hands. It just hasn't really existed. There's been huh. no way to do it. So I kind of view it as our artsy as Airbnb for art. Airbnb for art, or really more Etsy for art? Well, Carter, the CEO, likes to say Uber for art. Um, I, I would say more Air, I guess the analogy for Airbnbs for me is that there's all this fallow, dark inventory gotcha. all over the no, world, and I'm going to light it up. We're going right. to light that up, and we're going to bring are, it into the light.
0: The museums are the, the are the Marriotts and Hiltons, and go. all the individual homes that are available That's for right. rent is everybody below the grandmasters yeah. that may or may not want to sell a painting.
1: And I, I'm a collector, my wife is a collector. We have a lot of contemporary pieces in that price range. And we never sell pieces, even though we'd like to, because there's really no way there's to do no it. no way to sell yeah, pieces. How do you do it?
0: There, there are horrible articles about, I mean, really good articles about how horrible it is if you purchase something from um, an art dealer. They pretty much control that artist, control that market, if you wanna sell it, if you don't go through them, they're very, really upset at you. And it's like, okay, that's it, no more XYZ artists for you. Wait, I bought this, you're now out of the process, but apparently not. There's a little mini-monopoly in that space. So you guys are gonna break that.
1: Well, we're gonna bring, bring empowerment and light and liquidity to, to a market that's been a little stagnant. And here's the, th- here's the good news for art dealers and artists, uh, is that when you bring liquidity and you get motion and you get movement, it grows. That forty-four billion out of the three trillion is going to go to that one percent of the market that's trading is going to go to two. Then it's going to go to five. Then it's going to go to fifteen percent. And so, what happens to the overall market? It it's a multiple. It's an mm-hmm. integer multiple of the size it is today. And so everybody's actually going to win. So especially artists, artists,
0: collectors, anybody who wants dealers, to The dealers,
1: every, everybody's going to win. Everybody's going to win. And Artsy is going to be the marketplace that, that enables that. So I see it as a really big opportunity. The mission, the kind of mission of the company from the founder, Carter, uh, is to make art as ubiquitous as
0: music. Hmm. That's fascinating. Although music is less ubiquitous than it used to be.
1: Mm -hmm. You think?
0: Um, uh, No, but, uh, you know, it's hard because I'm old school and I still buy CDs. Okay. And then I immediately get the Amazon download, so I have both. I don't understand why I'm going to pay $10 for digital without the CD, because for the stereo, I want the actual... um, Try
1: asking your new Alexa to play Jack Johnson. Just say, hey, Alexa, Alexa, play Jack Johnson, or whatever it is. And what happens? You try it. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. It's just about the easiest way to listen I, to music. I literally just just it It does that it. Okay, Barry, it does it. Instantly. It does it instantly. Did you get the the one with the good speaker? I got the big the, one. Okay, right. you got the big one. Good. Now, By the way,
0: that was the better. The $49 reduced to $39 did not make sense okay. to me, but 179 to 89 that made more sense.
1: So the me. speaker is not great, even in the big one. It's not right.
0: awesome. Okay,
1: my Sonos that I have in my house? I was going to say, I have way Sonos. Way better. Way better. Do but they here, work together? But here's what, here's what, hap- no. Here's what yet, happens. No. Not yet, anyway. Here's what happens in my kitchen in Seattle in the morning with my three kids. Right. Okay, we have the fancy Sonos. We got the app for Sonos to mm-hmm. control Sonos.
0: It's literally next to Zillow. Okay. I'm not exaggerating. It's literally right I'm, next I'm to exactly Zillow. I'm exactly the same way. On, <laughs> I On do, my home screen. On, let
1: me get that picture. I got to get a picture of that. That's so funny. There we go. That is literally. Hold that up.
0: Uh, With Starbucks, Fitbit, and Uber on the home page. I'm going to get you in the photo, too. All right, got it.
1: Okay, here's the thing. What my kids do and my wife, which drives me batty, it's a little too hard to open the Sonos app. Really? Select whatever music service you're going to select. Here's what they do. They say, Alexa, play the new Drake. And that's it. And it does, and they don't care that the quality's crappy. It's sitting in the corner of the kitchen. They don't care the quality. They're listening to Drake. It's good and enough. And I'm like, That's what are you doing? Why are you doing that? We have I the Sonos thought, system. I thought it's Alexis easier.
0: works with Sonos.
1: Not yet. Well, not that I've seen. I've been watching and, for it. And
0: I was, I thought it was on the list of skills. And if you could say Alexa, play X Y Z on Sonos. Now you're really talking about
1: I've been I've been like on Twitter asking that question for quite some time of the people in charge, and it ain't, it ain't really? working yet. You know?
0: I think that's an eventuality. Yeah, it All should right. be. It should be. So I only have you for another yeah. 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Let me get to some of my um, favorite questions. Let's start with what's the most important thing that people
1: don't know about your background? I was the ice cream man when I was a kid. Really, I drove the ice cream truck. The good humor truck, the white truck. It, wasn't, or? it was it was the uh, blue blue sky bar, blue sky bar. Anyway, mm-hmm. it, was in, Regional, it was in New Canaan, New Canaan, Connecticut. It was uh-huh. yeah, it was not a. Was that was a summer a job? Summer job. I drove it one summer. Great way to meet young girls.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? I don't know that's that, no, that's a winner. Uh, yeah, driving yeah. the being the ice cream. Ice, man. I was an ice cream man. Right, there's a uh, nobody's. Everybody likes the ice cream man. Next time you uh, buy Alexa, ask him to play the Van Halen song "Ice Cream Man." So ice you, Cream Man. Yep. Um, early. <laughs> early mentors. Who were some of your early mentors? Um, my early mentors.
1: Uh, I, I've always been interested in stocks. Actually, um, my dad was one of these guys that subscribed to Value Line. He mm-hmm. was. He was a corporate executive, but uh-huh. his dad. Had been a, uh, a Wall Street, had been a bond salesman actually, and m- so my dad subscribed to Value Line, and I remember poring over Value Line with my dad as really? I was learning how to do stocks and learning about PE ratios. I remember buying Abbott Labs when I was a kid, as well as Sony. The Walkman had just come out, and I'm like, Sony's going to kill it. That was a bad one. Abbott Labs, <laughs> Abbott Labs was a good one. <laughs> See, <I> st- <laughs> when the iPod
0: came out, I had that same thought about Apple. I mean, yeah. Oh, this is the Sony Walkman for the digital era. Yeah. And when I cut my teeth on Value Line. And I remember thinking, why isn't this updated instantly? Why am I getting pages? And then the coulda woulda Bloomberg terminal right was already there.
1: They scratched that itch. Yeah, you know, for Bloom- sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Other so mentors. my dad, my dad was yeah, my dad was was a, a great one for me. Um, you know, I'm really lucky to have had exposure to some some of the greats. Really, truly, Bill your Gates list is crazy. Steve Ballmer, you know, Bill taught me a lot, and Steve has taught me a lot about 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 passion and storytelling uh bill has taught me a lot about long-term vision um i'm really lucky i have had the pleasure of working with a couple of the best venture capitalists i think of all time mm-hmm. who i kind of view as my mentors give honestly. us some names well Jay hug we talked about right how t- old is Jay at, at tcv you know uh he's around our age okay little, you know Maybe Maybe closer to your age than my age. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little older. Um, He's uh, calm, uh, experienced, level-headed, well-informed. He's the guy that can ask the really hard question in the really non-threatening way. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned learned that from him, and and that is a good skill. Uh, Bill Gurley at Benchmark Capital. Mm -hmm. Bill is you know. Perhaps the most successful, well-known
0: venture cat, well, well published. You know, Bill. He. We were supposed to do a show. Oh, no, you were. And he unfortunately had a, a family emergency, and we're rescheduled for September or so. Yeah,
1: you should really. He's. Gonna I'm excited be, about. He's going to
0: be great on here, and mm-hmm. yeah, and he is
1: quite an intellectual finance guy. I mean, he really is. But what and what I've learned from him, he was an analyst before he was a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've learned from him, I guess he's really he's taught me how to think uh, uh, competitive strategy, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Michael Porter sense. He's really an unbelievable strategic uh, thinker. Uh, And he's helped me figure out how to break down product situations, businesses, industries and look at it through a competitive advantage, from a competitive advantage perspective. And where are the moats? Where's the value created? um, And Ultimately, how it all ultimately comes down to a DCF.
0: You um, had had these mentors. Who was the person that, as a business person, most influenced the way you build and manage companies? All of those guys have
1: have helped me. I'd say Greg Maffei has helped me quite a bit too with financial engineering, and Barry Diller. He's quite a quite a financial engineer. Um, By the
0: way, you've given me a list of a year's worth of future podcasts. I you know, you they're in there.
1: They'd all be great. Um, you know, I think my business ethos is probably an amalgamation of a lot of these folks. My most my 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 most recent job had been Microsoft, and so that's the culture I knew. Mm-hmm. And when we started at Expedia and spun it out, I knew what I wanted to bring from the Microsoft culture and what I wanted to leave behind. Mm-hmm. What I wanted. They were a little sharp-elbowed back like, in the day. It was there. There was a. a, a it was very aggressive, challenging environment mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't for everybody, and turned a lot turned some people off. Uh, and the engineer was God, right? And everybody else was a supplicant. Not a bad approach if you're building technology. It, it can absolutely work. But my opinion is that you, that that. Building companies for the long term requires all the spokes on the wheel to be tightened to the same st- to the same pressure. More of a team effort, in other words, and so that the wheel rolls true. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the wheel kind of bumps along, and you have problems. And, mm-hmm. and companies that are too lopsided culturally, they they all end up with problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's so, so you know, kind of having a no assholes policy <laughs> and a respect, you know, a respectful culture that's challenging and competitive but not to the exclusion of uh, you know being respectful.
0: I, I share your philosophy and, and it's always difficult to tactfully explain to somebody why they're not a good fit for that reason. But yeah. it, it's really important. Yeah, it's really important. All right, this may be my single favorite question, or at least reader's favorite questions. Tell us about some of your favorite books. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I love this part of your, your interviews. People, I get emails all the time, I'm always looking for a new book to read. Yeah. Don't forget to ask that question.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so I told you, I'm not a big business book reader. Mm-hmm. I live business, and when I'm in bed at night reading, I'm not a, I am not don't, don't want to read about my life. Mm-hmm. I want to escape. I tend to want to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read a lot. I mainly read fiction.
0: Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. You
1: know, and I would say that my passion category of fiction is probably science fiction. You not, and me both. Not surprisingly. What have you read
0: recently that you really like?
1: Well, I really I really love Neil Stevenson, who's mm-hmm. a Seattle guy. He wrote Snow Crash, you know, that was Neuromancer his, yeah. that was William Gibson. Oh, William Gibson. That's right. right. Who's like Snow? who I love. Snow Crash was was Neil Stevenson's kind of breakthrough work from fifteen or twenty years ago where he envisioned the internet. He envisioned mm-hmm. Um, he called it the metaverse. Right. Uh, Snow Crash is a real winner. In fact, Mark Andreessen on your show referenced yep. it too. But Snow Crash is good. But he, uh, Neil recently published a book called Seven Eaves. Somebody else referenced Whew. that. I, I, I Maybe didn't it was Chris
0: it. Anderson. Somebody else referenced it. Okay.
1: That. Uh, Seven Eaves is just off the hook. Now it's dense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little technical, but it's approachable by anybody. Um, but the conceit, the setup for seven eaves is a agent, an unseen agent of some kind hits our moon and breaks it into seven pieces. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, you know, crumbles. A just little. doesn't crumble, just kind of breaks apart and they all kind of are moving together and they're still orbiting the earth and everybody's worried at first, but then they're like, Oh, well, you know, gravitational center is about the same. It's orbiting the earth. It's all good. Um, nothing bad's gonna happen, right? Well... Then the pieces start to bump into each other, right? Okay, and little pieces break off, and they more collisions cause more collisions, right? And of course, we know what happens: the the bits of the moon start falling into the sure. Earth, and it becomes apparent to the smart people on Earth that the Earth We're is going to end. We're right. dead, and so they knew exactly how long it was going to take because they did the statistical models. And now it's a race to get as much stuff up into sp- as much of humanity up into space before the Earth dies, mm. and that's the kind of setup for this wonderful this this wonderful. I'm going to have to add bed. that to the list. For yeah. Sure. He also wrote Cryptonomicon. That's the one I was thinking okay. of when I said *Neuromancer*. Which completely is prescient uh, around the whole cryptocurrency thing that's mm-hmm. going on right now, and is a is a very dense work that I'm that my 15 year old son is working his way through right now. He's kind of a geeky kid, um, but it it. It tells a, a, a terrific kind of Alan Turing age story, a World War II story, and stashing Nazi stolen gold uh, in Japanese islands, and ties that somehow
0: into what's happening with cryptocurrency huh. today. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, um, I know we only have a few minutes left. I got to do the. I have to do the last three questions. Oh, so let me do the last two questions then. Um, <clears throat> What sort of advice would you give to a millennial or someone just beginning their career? Interesting question. Absolutely. Someone interested in technology and or digital? Take big swings. Take big swings. That goes back to Take the, big uh, swings. the big, hairy. Big, uh, hairy audacious. D- yeah. Dream
1: big. Dream big. It's just as easy to swing for the the, the fences as it is to bunt, right? You're at bat. Take big swings, especially young people. You you you're at a point in your lives that whether or not you know it, you're at your most risk loving. Makes makes a lot of sense. You don't have kids, you don't have family. Hopefully you don't have a ton of debt. Hopefully you don't have a ton a a ton of debt. Um, You know, take big swings. Hang around the hoop as well. Find the hoop. Uh Find where you think the next big thing is, and go hang around that hoop. The way to score points is to hang
0: around the hoop. That's the best way. And our final question, what is it that you know about venture capital, technology, startups today that you wish you knew back in 94? Um,
1: I think that, uh, you know, I kind of, I think about it as an investing question, actually. It is. Okay. And, uh, you know, the mistakes I made... The mistakes I've made investing are all the follow the ticker mistakes. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're all the ADHD mistakes sure. where we feel like we need to do something. I'm watching the ticker, and I wish I'd known back then. I, I kind of logically knew that you just got to pick a few stocks and hold them forever. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. I'd read, you know, I'd read about Buffett for sure. Like that Carol Loomis book on sure. dan- tap dancing to work is a, is a great book. So I logically knew all this stuff. I watched my dad. But the truth is human nature doesn't let us really do those things. But, but I wish I had really known that the Amazon stock that I had pre-IPO <laughs> that I should have just held, okay? Um, but that long-term calm orientation is the same thing I wish I'd, I'd really known about starting businesses too. I mean, th- that is the most important thing is to have that long-term vision and stick to it. It's that big dream that attracts the best people to you
0: and, you know, stay on target. We have been speaking with Rich Barton. He is the founder of Expedia, co-founder of Zillow, Glassdoor, and numerous other startups. If you have enjoyed this conversation, be sure and look up an inch or down an inch at any of the other 150 or so such conversations we've had over the past three years. You can find us on Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Overcast, and we're adding a few other technologies. So by the time you hear this, you might be listening to it on, on something else. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Write to us at Bloomberg.net. I would be remiss if I did not thank the wonderful team that helps put these podcasts together. Taylor Riggs is my producer. In the recording studio today is Charlie Vollmer. Medina Parwana is our audio engineer. Mike Batnick is my head of research. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Masters in Business is brought to you by the American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. Learn more at ADR.org.